Hello, and welcome to episode 126 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Friday, October 13th, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? It's great. Friday the 13th is fun. And you know what else it is? What? It's our fifth anniversary. So technically, I guess Sunday is our official anniversary. But we are celebrating today. So the fifth anniversary traditionally is wood. Nice. Which I think is really appropriate for the podcast. Yes. Why do you think that? Knitting needles and paintbrushes and wooden spoons and books. Yeah. Yeah. All the things. Mm-hmm. This is going to make your uh, episode design photo pretty easy. I don't know Lots about ideas. easy, but I de- it as soon as I saw that it was wood, I said, oh, I know what I'm painting. Excellent. Before we jump into our episode, we feel called to say that our hearts are with all of the people of the Middle East and anyone who has family there, and we just send out a big wish for peace, a ceasefire on all sides. Our hearts are with you. It's hard to dive into like a regular fun, upbeat anniversary episode with everything that's going on. However, onwards. Yes. So it's going to be a a super fun episode, as always. Can I say that? (laughs) With On the Needles, On the Easel, On the Table, On the Nightstand. And then we will have On Reflection, which is our little podiversary segment at the end. So On the Needles, I have two finished objects. (gasps) I know it's You've very been exciting. Busy. I have been busy and a bunch of new stuff too. So my vanilla is the new black socks and my Rome shawl are not getting any love at all. It's kind of sad. I might've worked a smidge on the socks because I did go to a concert. Oh, and there was a lady sitting kind of across the aisle from me who I noticed was knitting during intermission and I didn't have a chance to speak with her, which I was a little sad about because I couldn't tell what she was working on. I did think that was very exciting because I don't usually see other knitters in the wild. So that was fun. Anyway, finished projects. I finished my Lamino socks by Sarah Jordan. Those were the birthday gifts for Simon. So I finished both socks now. <laughs> I had only finished one the last time we talked. And those are in Cake Fibers Fremont Tweed in Let the Great World Spin, which is this beautiful, I want to say chocolate brown. It's not. It's much lighter. Milk chocolate, maybe, with Tweety Bits. And I guess because brown is kind of a lot of colors mixed. So you can see the pink and the blue peeking through in little bits. And then the tweed parts are, are, that's where the chocolate brown comes in. They're very squishy. They fit him well. Ah, they were just a super fun project because I have been doing so many plain, well, vanilla is the new black socks, which is a fabulous pattern and great for self-striping, but it was fun to do cables and and try something new. So he seems pretty pleased with having an actual textury well, that's not a word. I'm making up that word. Textury socks in fun new yarn that I had not used before. So that was a fun project. And that one, yeah, I just kind of wanted to get done because I had all these other projects coming up. One of which was the Bougifleur beanie, which is a sea, some sort of flower in Scots. And that pattern is by Alison Rendell. And it was the official Shetland Wool Week hat pattern. I'm not sure if you can buy it anymore. I don't know. I'm not entirely sure how that works. I think it's available for a limited time. But they do have a whole book out now of Wool Week patterns. So there was, it looked like there was a sweater and cowl probably and some other things, which looked pretty cool. And it looked like the sweater was kind of had that same flower pattern, which was pretty neat. Anyway, the hat was super fun. Fair Isle knitting. You only had to use two colors at once. The yarn that I used was Jameson's of Shetland, their Shetland Spindrift, which is a fingering weight. But because you're using two colors at once, you get a very warm and cozy hat. Plus, it was very natural yarn, shall we say. So kind of crunchy, not this super smooth merino kind of yarn. And also the skeins come in 50 grams, which is nice for doing color work because you don't usually need that much yarn especially for a hat. So there was the background color and then uh, maybe six other colors, five or six. And 
I only used 50 grams of yarn total for the hat. So I have a lot of leftover yarn, so I can make a whole other hat. So I have plans, let me tell you. But it was a really fun pattern. The brim had a bunch of colors, and then you went into the flower pattern, and then there was a separate flower pattern on the top that incorporated the decreases. So if you're looking down at it from the top, there's kind of a star shape with flowers in between. So that was that was a fun little little thing I got to do. It does need to be washed and blocked because it's all a little little wonky, but it fits. So that was exciting. And at some point it will be cool enough, hopefully, to wear because it does look pretty impressive with all the colors. And in the Farrell knitting, you change colors. In the flower itself, you change colors three times, I think. It's a really cool design concept that it's a good thing I had a kit because I would not have been able to figure it out myself, I don't think. There are several samples and color ideas in the pattern. So if you want ideas, you can... and don't want to come up with your own. There are plenty of ideas available. And then I started another pair of socks. I know I haven't finished the other one, but as I've said before, I am doing the pigskin party with Down Cellar Studio, which is super fun. And obviously you can still join in. And so every month they're having a, a challenge. So the challenge for October is knit a pair of socks, which I feel totally that I can do <laughs> in a month as long as I pay attention. And then you also get bonus points if you knit a pattern from the sponsor for the month. So I looked in my library of patterns and I already had a pattern that I think I bought the previous year from the designer, Lisa K. Ross, Paper Daisy Creations. And it is her Diamonds in the Light pattern, which is from her Twilight collection. So it's this really cool pattern with sort of, well, diamonds, but they're not just diamonds. They're kind of double diamonds and it's very addictive and I'm enjoying it very much. And I dug out this skein of yarn that I think I got from Stitches West in 2018 or 2019. I had not put it in my stash, so I'm not quite sure. But it is Candy Skein Creations Yummy Fingering in Goonies Grub. So it's it's kind of a Halloween one and I was thinking I wanted to do a Halloween kind of sock. So I have my diamond vampire pattern socks in my my Halloween colored yarn. It's kind of a sagey green, so a grubby kind of green with all with red and blue and yellow variegated through it. It's not speckled. It's more heavy than that, but it's all light enough that it's same, making a nice same tone. Yes, that must be it. So it's all blending, and so you can still see the stitch pattern. Mm -hmm. So I am very pleased. That was going really slowly, and then I just took some time to actually work on it. It is a toe-up, which is not my preferred method of knitting socks, but it's fine. I can do it. So I'm working on the gusset for the first sock. It's very nice. I think it's a 16-row repeat, which is just about in my sweet spot. It, it's short enough that I am motivated to keep doing one more row at a time just to get to the next section. The pattern goes up, up for eight rows and then back down for your diamond shape. So very addictive and you want to keep knitting it. And I'm excited and we'll see. I've got, well, I guess I've got two weeks now <laughs> to finish a sock and a half, which if I just sit down and, and actually focus on that, I will definitely be able to do and get lots of fun bonus points, which, you know, is really what it's all about. Um, plus fun Halloween socks. And I got to pull out my little ghosty stitch markers. Those are so cute. And I, I may was... have ordered a new Halloween bag because I did not have a project bag that was officially Halloween and it was making me sad, even though I'm not really a Halloween girl. And yet I really wanted the matching bag. So, and then finally, I'm working on my Suspicion Shawl, which is a pattern from Forbidden Fiber Company. This is part of the Clue Mystery Knit Along. Yes. So if you don't want to hear anything about this, I don't know how many people are doing this, but if you don't, skip ahead three minutes. I opened the last of the yarn clues today, because there are 13 yarn packages. We got one full skein of yarn that was called Who Done It. It's white with speckles. It's really cool. And then there are 12 mini skeins. And I got to say, I was kind of worried about how these would all play together because that's a lot of color to work with in my brain because I'm not a color person. But I got to say, I'm pretty excited about it. It's pretty fun. So the, the colorways that are named after the characters are pretty solid. 
they're tonal, but they're solid colors. So like Mr. Green is very green. Mrs. Peacock is very peacock. And then the ones that are named after the weapons or the rooms are more speckly or variegated. But she's got the colors all set up to flow nicely. They're beautiful. I mean, I love her color choices anyway. So this has been very fun to unwrap them and, and see what's going to be next. I don't know what's happening with the shawl pattern. This is also part of the mystery. And I've been trying not to peek ahead or look at any of the Instagram spoilers because she said she was very excited about the shape of this shawl. And that is part of the mystery. I just finished clue five. So I've done the main color and there's four of the contrast colors. It's basically a triangular shawl, but there's eight more clues. So she's going to do something else. And I don't know what. I'm very excited to see. But it's been fun. It's been very meditative knitting. It's been sort of stripes in garter stitch and then solid swaths of color in stockinette. So it's good TV knitting. I just have to remember to increase or decrease at the end of the row, which is sometimes if you're watching TV, occasionally one forgets to do that. But I've been I've been pretty good about it. So that one I'm hoping to get done by Halloween, which is the same day that the Halloween socks are due? Well, not due. I mean, neither of them have to be done, but I would like to do it. The other thing with the shawl is that there are clues to figuring out, you know, as in a clue game, who the, who, who with what and where. So they've, I've opened all the yarn now and there's still like two choices. They're, they're very obvious choices for who didn't do it. Like Mr. Green, right? We have the Mr. Green yarn, so he didn't do it. But each of the sections has two leftover, at least two leftover choices. And I'm not sure. I don't know. I can't figure it out. So I've I've got to sit down and figure out. She said some of them would take some deductive reasoning. And I assume it's from our, the other goodies that were in the, the box, but I don't know. So we'll see if I can figure it out. Maybe part of it is in the the shape of the shawl or something. I don't, but it couldn't, that wouldn't make sense because you could also have a crochet kit or a cross stitch kit. So I don't know. It's a mystery people, but that is all that's on the needles. Well, on the easel, because I was drawing for the last podcast episode, I was researching the old vintage clue character cards for the illustration and I had no idea that there were so many different ones. There are modern ones and old-timey ones, and they were really sweet to look through. And then last night when I was doing some of my work for for our fifth anniversary favorites and that kind of thing, I realized that in that illustration where I painted the Mrs. Peacock playing card that I forgot to paint the pimentos in the jar of olives in that illustration. I was like, oh my God, I turned in an incomplete painting. (sighs) Anyway, the easel has been very busy. I am so happy to report. Excellent. We are coming up on gouache vember, which is the most exciting time of the year for gouache painters everywhere around the world, global, of course. This is tongue in cheek, of course. Nobody cares about gouache vember except me and four other people. But it makes for. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too. It makes for really fun painting. And Daria up in Seattle, she is Daria Penta on Instagram. She built the prompt list, which I think goes live on Monday. And we have secured Gouache Vember as an actual Instagram account. So there will be lots of new content there. And it's just to kind of help with the community that it's all in one place. And then I made a set of stickers for Gouache Vember participants. We're going to do some tiny little sticker giveaways. I made stickers last year and I used Moo. Moo printing. Moo printing is awesome. I use them for my business cards and I just love that you can do a different image on the back of every business card. It makes it feel fun. Um, But their stickers are only shiny and gouache. If you've been here for a minute, you know that gouache is an opaque watercolor and it dries with like a matte velvety finish. And that shiny sticker did not suit the gouache brand, if you will. And so uh, Daria had a great recommendation to use a matte 
vinyl sticker from Sticker App, and that is coming all the way from Sweden. Should land today or tomorrow. I am so excited. In fact, I want to make more. Maybe we should do a podcast sticker sheet for, I don't know what. <laughs> Bingo. I mean, just, why not? Why not? So that was that was really fun. I worked on those last week. In fact, I designed a couple different sticker sheet sets because I wasn't sure what was going to work. It was my first time doing more of a die cut sticker than just a little square one. So good learning experience. And then I have been working on my three main projects. A big Nathan painting, which is top secret, and I'm not supposed to tell him anything. Nathan is my 19-year-old who's away at school, and he has a wall in his apartment bedroom. It will barely fit on this wall, but that's where it's going to go. And he's made a request for a painting. I really want it to be incredible, even though there's a very good chance down the line his future partner will be like, no, that's going in the garage. I can live with that. It's a very Nathan-themed painting. I have also been working on, aside from prep for Guashvember, a flora and fauna series. So at the beginning of the year, I had this drive to figure out the vernacular for painting florals. And I thought I was going to do a whole series of still lives and then the dinosaurs waltz into it. And I have to say that I got a little lost in the Paleolithic stuff. It was World Fossil Day the other day. My neighbor bought a little dinosaur fossil tooth, and I've been fascinated with it. I don't know that everybody needs to be fascinated with dinosaurs along with me. And so I was sort of hung up on this, like, am I painting a series of flowers with dinosaurs waltzing around? I just, it seems fun, but I, it also didn't seem totally sustainable for me, which is a, always a key, a clue if you will, to an early series that maybe that's not the right direction. And so I keep going and pivoting and figuring it out. And then when I was working on the rabbit piece for the upcoming rabbit show, I had an actual rabbit with a floral in the painting. And I was really struggling with it. I couldn't figure out. Remember I said, Mm -hmm. there's something missing. There's something missing from this thing. Yep. I don't think there was something missing necessarily as it wasn't the right... It wasn't a dinosaur. (laughs) It wasn't a dinosaur and it wasn't the right rabbit. Uh. And so I have changed it. Uh. I think it's working. It's almost done. It's terrible that I can't tell if it's working yet. I might have misplaced something in it. All to say, ruminations are happening. Mistakes are being made. Things are being repainted and that's okay. At least that's what I'm telling myself. The series, I'm allowing the rabbit piece to work into this series. It's it's like a a part of it, I guess. And so it may turn into something fully fleshed out, or it might be three or four paintings, and that's that's okay. The only way for me to get through it is to get through it and keep painting, and so that's what I'm doing. I do want to say it's important for me to share that I think I have found a good vernacular for painting the florals and they are working out. And that is, if it can be said in October, kind of a success for the last 10 months is it's been something that I've been trying to figure out and failing and trying and failing. And and I think that I've gotten to a place where I've made enough mistakes that I've figured out the formula that works for me. Cool. That sounds so oblique, but that's where I'm at. And sometimes people want to hear about weird art processes. So <laughs> thanks for listening. Is the rabbit show at the same place that the... The rabbit show fresh? is at... No, it's at, the, at a little gallery in the mission called Bench Gallery. It's in Phase Video which is right across the street from Byright, Byright grocery store. Okay then. Like by Yeah. Dolores Park. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And his shows are always really fun to go to. This is Michael McConnell. He's always got a really interesting show happening in there. And it's worth a peek if you need especially if you need a coffee cuz I hear he serves great coffee. I'm not a coffee drinker. Mm, 
And when is this show happening? I don't know. The painting is due next week, but I think it doesn't hang until November 5th or 8th or I don't really have that date. Okay. We'll yeah. circle back. Thank you. Can I know you don't want to talk about the painting itself for Nathan, but you were talking a little bit last time about the process and approaching something that large. Have you figured that out or still working on it? I feel like I need to have a really good drawing. The painting is 30 by 40 inches. It is quite big yes. for my my normal paintings are 8 by 10, 12 by 12 is a sizable one for me. So this is much bigger than usual. And I'm kind of looking at it like a dozen 12 by 12s plus, <laughs> plus some borders. So I'm trying to do as much detail in each quadrant or section of it as I can. I was just going to throw an underpainting on there, but then I realized that I want certain things to come through and there is no rush. He's impatient for it, but I really want to take my time with it and sort of give each section its, its the detail that I'm seeking from it. Incidentally, adjacently, I went to the de Young yesterday. I saw the Kinda Wiley again before it mm. leaves. And that was amazing. Yeah. And then the the de Young open was also is on display until January seventh or something. It was the first time I had walked through that. This is almost a thousand paintings of Bay Area artists. And it's something that the de Young is trying to do every three years. They did it during COVID. That was their first one. They do like a blind application process. I'm not really sure about it. I haven't applied. And then it is arranged by genre, if you will, with three-dimensional art. I was going to say, it's not just painting because my neighbor has a ceramic Ceramics, piece. yeah. I saw her stuff there. So there's, there is three-dimensional art also that fits each genre throughout the galleries. And I think it's maybe five big spaces. There's a room that feels, and this is totally my quickie take on it, local Bay Area, California room, then maybe more portrait-ish type stuff, then landscape. And then there was an ab totally abstract room and then one that felt more surreal or contextual, I guess. Huge amount of art. And there's an online catalog. And if that's something that interests you, I'll put a link so that people who are farther flung can see it. Yeah, I want to get over there. I haven't seen it yet. It looks pretty intense. <laughs> it's very intense. And I want to go back through from a different perspective, like what kinds of art do they accept? And, you know, more like yeah. a research thing, but also to, I know I have other friends whose work is in that show and I couldn't find everything. Like it was just very overwhelming. Right. It looked from the photos that I've seen of it kind of like a, an old school, like 1800s salon, exhibition. Salon, yeah, just yeah. like everything thrown on the walls. Floor to ceiling. So much. Yeah. So I'm excited to get over there at some point. I'm glad it's there till January because that gives me a little bit of time to make it happen. They've been having some really amazing exhibits this oh my past gosh. year. Yeah. We've got Botticelli's drawings coming. I'm excited for that one too. Okay, on the table, what do I want to talk about? I will talk about the French apple cake that I made. There was a photo of that. Yay. It was Yum. delicious. It was so simple. So that was kind of why I picked it up. Someone I follow on X, the app formerly known as Twitter. She does a lot of baking. And so she made this one and said it was super simple. And I looked at the recipe and there's nothing to it. You know, butter, flour, sugar, apples. And you do throw in a bit of rum. I was thinking brandy might be good too, but I had the rum. So I threw it in there, um, which you don't really taste. It's just kind of in the background. And it's, it's just very, it's almost like a, like a crumble or or a, a dowdy or something. I mean, Yum. It's just Those so are much, my favorites. Yeah, it's just all the apples in there, and it was very nice and fall feeling. Lots of butter, so that was that's good too. Um, so very delicious. The link will be in the show notes along with 
everything else if you want to check it out. And I also, I think I put the link in the Instagram post as well if you want to get it from there. But it's hard to click on links from Instagram, so that's a little little trickier. They discourage that. Yes. They don't want you to leave their little no fiefdom. But we will find find ways to do that. And then I made two more recipes from Veg Forward. I know we already reviewed it, but I can't stop. But one of them was the Japanese sweet potatoes that Courtney talked about, and they were pretty delicious. I used butter. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Oh, it was good. It, they were, I will say, they were a little more complicated. To, they weren't complicated to make. They took longer than I was expecting. Usually I just, you know, I don't know, slice them and throw them in the oven and then I'm done with it. This, you pre-boil them and then you smash them and you bake them and you flip them and you bake them some more. So it was worth it because they were really tasty and like crispy on the outside and just tender on the inside. And then with the nori, they looked amazing. And my kid, who is not a huge sweet potato fan, did say these were better than regular sweet potatoes because they are a little bit, they aren't quite as sweet. Yeah. Um, and mine were totally purple as well. So. Mm. Okay, so good. That, to that know. was interesting. Yeah, so those were those were a hit, and then I also made the roasted and raw Brussels sprouts salad because Brussels sprouts, and it's always fun to have something new to do with that. So this one, you take your sprouts and you pull off the outer leaves and set those aside. Slice up the inner leaves, put them with some lemon juice and salt to kind of tenderize them a bit. You make a nice lemony mustard and I used maple but you could use honey dressing with shallots and you know all those delicious things you roast some shallots as well and the outer leaves and then you mix it all together you could also do some pancetta which I did separate but you could roast the shallots and the leaves in the pancetta oil which always a good plan yeah that would be delicious but it was fine just dumping some of it on top as well so that was good that was a little you had the interesting texture differences from the the raw versus the roasted Mm -hmm. very crunchy and and not i mean it's a little bit of a pain to separate up the sprouts like that but again wasn't terribly it wasn't complicated it just took a little extra time Um, but i think pretty worth it and then Ali Slagle, who I am very fond of, she uh, wrote I Dream of Dinner, So You Don't Have To, which is one of my cookbooks that I, I like a lot. So she has a new Substack column. I don't know what would we call them. Stack recipe thingy called 40 Ingredients Forever. And so she has 40 ingredients that she always has Ooh. in her pantry. I don't know exactly what they are, but, you know, beans, tomatoes, flour. I love a list things. like that. Yep. And so her idea is that she's just going to churn out recipes using these 40 ingredients, different things. And then I think for the the non-paid one, you get I forget, maybe one recipe a month, maybe one every other week. And for the paid, you get one every week. She's also going to do, you send in your 10 plus ingredients that you always have, and she'll give you three recipes. So right now I'm just a non-paying. We will see. She is tempting us. She sent us she made three recipes for someone who had their 10 ingredients, and it was some pretty good recipes. <laughs> so we will see. I do really enjoy her recipes. So anyway, so I wanted to try the first recipe that she put out to see what I thought about it, because obviously if I didn't enjoy that one, there wouldn't be much point in paying for additional recipes. So the first one was bruschetta beans with brown butter. And her theory was we're in this kind of weird summer fall in between and there's still sort of tomatoes, you, you still, but you know, you don't want it to be super light, like you don't want a gazpacho, that's not really where we are, so she wanted it to be a little heavier. So she went with cherry tomatoes, white beans, mix them up, throw some oil and vinegar in there, and then brown butter with garlic and herbs and red pepper flakes, and dump that on top, mix it all up, serve it with some delicious bread. And the butter gives it a little more richness and heft along with the beans. So it's still got that kind of summery vibe. But as she says, these tomatoes are wearing flannel. <laughs> um, and I will say, because I, I have done a lot of beans for dinner, my kid did say these were better than I was expecting. And he actually had seconds and was very pleased with them. I didn't say... I didn't say there was butter in there, 
I think that really, so it is really apparently a very secret and delicious ingredient. So it was so fast. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, you know, cooked my own beans, but if you used canned beans and tomatoes, like literally all you're doing is browning butter. Excellent. So super fast. How about you? I did, speaking of flannel, I did a one pot lasagna. Oh, yes. From this, I I don't know how I clicked towards this, but it's from Sailor Bailey. I can't wait to look through her other recipes because this was pretty great. And as I was making it, I really wanted cascatelle and I didn't have any. So I ordered a case of cascatelle. It, it was a very inspiring recipe. So this is basically the sauce that you would make for lasagna. And you can do whatever works for your family's eating plan. You know, it could be vegetarian, could be mushroom based, it could be like a bolognese, like my family prefers. So you make that, you get it going and add, I added beef stock because bolognese, and then the pasta goes in with it. And then as you serve it, you can put, I put the ricotta with parsley and Parmesan and salt and pepper in the bottom of the bowl, and then put the pasta mixture on top and then added a couple slices of mozzarella. It looked so beautiful that I actually took a picture of it and posted it on our Instagram, which I often forget to do because my people are devourers of food and I never get a chance. So you're cooking the pasta in the sauce on a stovetop pan. Yeah, all Um, in a Dutch oven. Normally, I don't like to do that, but you do it with lasagna anyway. You know, that's how I make lasagna. So it totally worked. The only problem was my kid was running late and I left it on low and I should have just turned it off because the pasta got a little overcooked and it felt very much like lasagna. You know, like everything had melded together and it wasn't, it was less like a pasta dish and definitely more like lasagna, but I would have liked the pasta to be a slightly more al dente. And that's great because then you can control the amount of cheese and everybody can kind of do their own thing. That's really... Absolutely. Brilliant, brilliant recipe. And then my child ate it on repeat for like three days. He totally loved it, but he's a lasagna kid. So that was a complete slam dunk, something we'll make again. I also did it with part turkey, part ground beef, just to lighten it up a little bit. So there's ways to tweak it for how your people eat you know, with, with any kind of restriction. It would also be great, although I have cascatelle now, it would be great with more of a chickpea pasta or a protein pasta. Just throwing it out there in case that suits you. So now I'm starting a new program called the Kale Chronicles. <laughs> As a surprise for Monica. We have been remiss about leading with leafy greens. Even though we just did veg forward, it's because I have a kid who does not like leafy greens, it is not my first thought. And so what I'm trying to do is make it my first thought. And to do that, I have been mining through all of my cookbooks for kale, shard, spinach, even purple cabbage. It's not a leafy green, but it's a dark and just finding recipes that fit those vegetables. And so my two this week was a kale with curry and coconut milk. Mm. And this was kind of a slow braised kale that was so delicious that I bought a little case of coconut milk to make in the future. It was so good. Very easy, really light. It doesn't call for that much coconut milk, but it's a great way to meld all the flavors together. And that was just from my America's Test Kitchen vegetarian cookbook. And then kale salad with feta and pepitas, which I'm forgetting which cookbook that was from. It might have been Veg Forward or maybe Love and Lemons. I forget. I will make sure that it's properly addressed in the show notes. Kale salad with feta and pepita is, I see it, you know, at the Whole Foods salad bar. I've seen it around, never made it. We had it with chicken burgers one night and I just put a gigantic mound of it on my chicken burger and had it like a burger salad kind of thing. 
it doesn't require any cooking. It just macerates with the dressing that you put on it. The toasted pepitas was a really nice touch because it helped de-volumize the kale. And I love feta. So that that's been going great. And I have a, several other recipes queued up for this week. But now I'm making it my habit. Anytime I am going into the grocery store, I'm grabbing either a bunch of kale or a bunch of shard or I always have spinach. But just kind of like enlivening that side of our life. Nice. All right. On the nightstand, somehow all of my books this time, all of them, involve a mystery. How Apparently many, they how, knew it was spooky season. How many murders? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot of murders. Yeah. Mostly murders. Hooray. Let's do this. It's Friday <laughs> did, the 13th. I know. It's all perfect. I It was hilarious as I was reading the first one I read. It's like, oh, that this will be a good lead in to October. And then I kept having more. I was like, wait, this one is too. Oh, this one also. Okay. So I'm not quite sure how that happened. And they're not all depressing either. So it's, I mean, some of them are. Anyway, so two audiobooks to start. First, our Kinsey update. Q is for Quarry by Sue Grafton, which I listen to. That's what you do with audiobooks. She is working on a cold case. Body of a young girl was found 18 years before. Case was never solved. She gets pulled into trying to solve it. And off we go with that. The thing that was interesting about that, well, there were a couple of things that were interesting about this one. This was not my favorite book. It was really cute. She was solving this with two older ex-cops. So it was a very kind of only murders in the building vibe. Although Kinsey is 38, she's not Selena Gomez's age. But that was really cute. So that was really a nice dynamic between the three of them. But they spent a lot of time talking about either Kinsey's family history or the gen- the two gentlemen's medical history. I mean, like a lot of the book. A lot of it was not the mystery happening. It was all this other stuff, which... I mean, I do like the personal dynamic, like an Inspector Gamesh kind of thing where there's more going on than just the mystery, but this was a lot. I don't know what Sue was doing. But the thing that was really interesting about this one is that it is based on an actual cold case. She's <laughs> she's friends with the coroner in Santa, or she was friends with the coroner in Santa Barbara, and he was telling her about some case. It has still never been solved, but when she found out about it, she, I guess, used her money and influence to get the case reopened. They started looking at it again. They exhumed the body. They got a forensic artist to draw a picture of what the girl would have looked like. And she published it in the book to try and get it solved, which is pretty cool. It still hasn't worked, which is sad. But it was a nice effort to try and use her her fame for something to bring that girl home. Yeah. Yeah. The other one I listened to was A Share in Death by Deborah Crombie. So this is the first in the Kincaid and James mystery series. The 18th book in the series came out this summer, and I listened to it a few months ago. I was waiting on my next Sue Grafton, so I thought I'd go back and (laughs) see how it all began. And it was kind of hilarious. It was a very solid Agatha Christie kind of mystery. You could really feel the structure in place. So Duncan Kincaid is a Scotland Yard detective. But in this one, he's on vacation in Yorkshire. He's staying at a timeshare that he's borrowed from his cousin. And people start dying. It's basically what happens. And his vacation gets turned into work. So it was a good mystery. I liked the twist at the end. It was interesting to see because in the 18th book, the two main characters are married. They have a family, all this stuff. You know, their careers have gone on over the past, I guess, like 15 years or so. And in this one, they've just started working together. The 17-year-old kid is now a two-year-old toddler. It's kind of of amusing to see how it all began. So yeah, so this is, I think, definitely going to go on my, my occasional listen. It was pretty enjoyable. And then The Blonde Identity by Allie Carter. This was a romp. The title is a play on the Bourne Identity, which is, I will say, one of my most favorite films, which is completely ridiculous. Mine too. Oh my gosh. What is it about that film? I don't know. Anyway. And Ali Cardi is interesting. She has written apparently like 18 young adult adventure novels, and this is her first adult one. So she is good at her craft. This is not like a debut novel. A woman wakes up underneath the Eiffel Tower, lying in the snow, no idea who she is. 
A guy runs up to her, says, Alex, you've got to run. He's very hot, of course. And then he realizes that she's not Alex. She realizes she's not Alex. Alex is her twin sister, and Alex is a spy. And so everybody thinks she is Alex, and they are looking for her because Alex has stolen a zip drive and run away, and all everybody, CIA, MI6, the Russians, all of the parties are looking for her because they think she's on her own. So the woman and the other spy have to escape, try and figure out who she is, where's the zip drive, total romp, lots of banter, closed door but lots of steamy looks and pretending to be married. And she keeps making all these comments about the various tropes. And he says, what are you talking about? It was just really delightful. And then at the end, they're about to get together and, and she's she still doesn't remember anything. Or she remembers a couple things, but not much. And she keeps asking him all these questions. Well, like, what if I, you know, what if I, what if this thing is true about me? Will you still love me? And he's giving all these great answers. And one of the things she says is... What if I'm addicted to knitting and blew all my money on extremely high-end yarns? And he says, I have savings, and I look amazing in sweaters. <laughs> Which just made the book for me, obviously. Super fun, adorable little little book. I look forward to seeing what else she comes up with. And then we go a little darker. The Talented Mr. Ripley by Patricia Highsmith. Classic. She also wrote Strangers on a Train, which mm -hmm. got turned into a Hitchcock movie. And it's definitely that same kind of vibe. I think I have read the book because when I was reading Rebecca, I got mm. into like this little vein of yeah. Yeah. old timey psychological thrillers. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely this. So Tom Ripley is a young man living in New York City. And he's not exactly a con man, but he's not exactly not a con man. He's just trying to make his way and morally questionable. But he runs into or he is found by the father of an old acquaintance, a former acquaintance of his. And the acquaintance is now living off his trust fund in Italy. Dad would like him to come home and take over the family business. He asks if Tom would go to Italy and try and convince his son to come home. And of course, his expenses would be paid. So Tom says, sure, and takes off for Italy. And things are kind of up and down from there. It was, I don't know exactly what I was expecting. I think maybe it is that kind of more old-fashioned suspense. Like the slow burn. Yeah. It was interesting and dark. And yet, kind of like last time when I had all these very badly behaved main characters, you have to watch it because otherwise you start rooting for them because you're just, you're in their head and you're, you're getting their, their justification. And you're like, no, 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 we don't do that. <laughs> but it was an excellent little Halloween one. Um, there are apparently four more books about Tom Ripley, which I thought was interesting. I'm not sure that I enjoyed it that much, but it was it was interesting to see. And I do kind of want to go back and watch the movie and see what they did with it. Plus Matt Damon, obviously. Right. Yeah. And in a very serious and depressing vein, Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Gran. Yes, the movie is coming out. It's probably already going to be out by the time this releases. We picked this for book club. I picked this for book club. And it was it was worth a read. We had a, a bunch of not nonfiction readers in our in our group, but we ended up having a really good discussion. It is one of those pieces of American history that we never hear about unless, you know, Scorsese makes a movie about it. So it was in the nineteen twenties in Oklahoma in the Osage County slash reservation. Oil was found on the, the reservation lands. And the tribe had managed to keep a hold of their mineral rights. And so they were all super wealthy. Because it had been, it was the second time that they'd been relocated, right? Yes. Yeah. The history of this is particularly terrible. Yes. It starts off not good. It gets worse. But they are like the wealthiest population in the United States. And then they all start dying. And the FBI is, or the precursor to the FBI is sent in to try and figure out what's going on because all of the local law enforcement keeps basically saying, I don't know, because they are, as we find out, involved in what is going on. It is a really horrible part of history, and the author ends up finding even more 
damaging information about what was going on at the time. I'm, so- gl- I'm glad that they've made this into a movie. This was one of my book of the month selections, maybe mm. like three years ago. Came out in 2017, I think. 2018, 2017. Oh, okay. It's kind of hard. It's a hard read. Like it took yeah. me a little while to make my way through it because it's content is difficult. But I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that it's getting like a second wave of popularity because yeah. I think it's important. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do with this movie. Mm. Yeah, but I think the author had a hand in the screenplay. Maybe did I read that someplace? It could be. So hopefully there's a lot of integrity to the original story. Yes. Yeah, and I think he involved the members of the tribe and in the filming and what happened. And so hopefully it is it is a good representation of what went on. And then on a slightly lighter note, The Fragile Threads of Power by V.E. Schwab. This is when I talked about I went to her book release event for this book and then, of course, had to read the book. It is a continuation sort of, of the previous Shades of Magic trilogy, but introduces some new characters and gives them a whole new life. Picks up seven years after the other trilogy left off. Magic is now coming back to White London and kind of disappearing from Red London. And there is a a rebel group that is blaming the king of Red London because he is not magical. So they are trying to figure out what is going on. And we have a new character who can see the threads of magic. So everybody wants to control her. It was, it was, oh, it was just so fun to just dive back into that world. And her main characters are a little older, a little more grown up, but then you have other younger characters. So you get both kinds of perspectives on life. It was really good and nice little cliffhanger. And I am, I guess I'll have to wait a while for the next one, but... Um, a, a great, great book. I enjoyed it very much. She does give you enough information. If you don't want to read the first three, you could just read this one and you'll be able to to figure out where you are and the character relationships. So you don't have to start off with the original trilogy. I think you could read this and then if you wanted to, you could go back and start over and you wouldn't miss anything or lose anything, I don't think. And then finally, this one isn't totally a mystery, but it was kind of creepy in, in some of them. Uh, Normal Rules Don't Apply by Kate Atkinson. Did you know she had a new book coming out? I do. It's on my list. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know it until I saw that, like, it was out. I guess she's just transcended... Marketing. Marketing, yeah. (laughs) Just like, people are obviously going to buy it. So it's short stories. It's not a full story. They are lightly linked, and one character appears in, I think, three or four of them. So there does feel like a little bit of a thread. I'm not normally a short story person, but that kind of got me through it. I mean, her writing is amazing. I loved it. I just, with short stories, always feel like I'm just getting into the character and then it's over. So this was able to give me a little bit more. Um, They are all over the place. I think a lot of them she had written for other events and then collected them and revamped them. So they do have a a flow, but one is almost a fairy tale. One is, there's a guy with a talking horse. There's, it, it, there is kind of a little bit of magic going through all of them. Starts off with a sort of catastrophic world-ending event. I mean, if you like Kate Atkinson, I think this is a good way to go. It it reminds me of her first kind of books with the dark comedy and less of either her mysteries or whatever she's been writing. I don't know what we want to call what she's been writing lately. Yeah, I don't know what how to characterize her early stuff, but are you talking... She did like the Jackson Brody, is that right? Her early... No, those are her mysteries, even before that. Oh. Yeah, her, like, original three books were kind of dark comedies, and then she switched into the Jackson Brody stuff. Hmm. I think I only read one of the Jackson Brodies. That might be worth going back to. Yeah, they're good. They're good. They're not, yeah, they're not typical mysteries. Yeah. So, um, all right, and that is all my books. (laughs) I only have a couple for you because I have been painting, and that is, that makes me so happy. I read a book called Maeve in America by Maeve Higgins, and I read this because my high schooler is reading it in his Irish lit class, and it was assigned, and and when we went to back to school night, the teacher's description of it was way more interesting than my kids, and so I wanted to read it. I feel like I understand what she was trying to do, the teacher was trying to do by assigning this book, because I feel like Maeve, so Maeve immigrates 
to America from Ireland at age 31. I mean, if you spend 31 years someplace, it's not like when you're an eight-year-old and come here. I think that you carry a lot more of the idiosyncrasies of your culture when you go someplace as an adult. Yeah. Maeve Higgins is a comedian and writer, and her entry into America is as a comedian. I think the thing that she notices right off the bat is that the socioeconomics here are the spectrum is much more broad than it was in Ireland. And so she really feels that a different kind of poverty as a comedian in New York City, you know, trying to string it all together and look presentable and is going to like Kennedy Center honors and things like that when she, you know, had to rent a dress. And it's, it is pretty interesting. Although I don't know that it's totally accessible for a high school kid to be in her shoes necessarily. And this is nonfiction or fiction? This is nonfiction. It's a collection of essays and they're pretty funny. She talks about how people can't pronounce the name Maeve. She gets a lot of mauve or maive and the the saving grace was that anthropology has a Maeve line. And so things that maybe my kid wouldn't get, I got a lot more out of. But I think what the teacher was trying to do was dial the kids from this immigrant experience, you know, how she's lands in this middle of the country and what it's like there, and then reckons back to her tiny island off the coast of Ireland. It's kind of catapulting them into Ireland in a different way. And at least that it works that way in my brain. It didn't quite land with him, but I found it really enjoyable. And to see her, you know, the connections that she makes between Ireland and the US, the politics, there's a lot of politics in it. Bill Clinton is practically a patron saint there for his having helped with the troubles. And so they generically speaking, lean a little bit more democratic. And that comes through in some of Maeve's writing. So it was it was interesting. Maybe not laugh out loud. The Irish comedy, as you know, is leans a little dark, but I enjoy that. And I think it was setting them up for their next reads, which were Pygmalion. And now they're on to Dubliners next. So Maeve in America, I think it was I think it was fun. It was a fun read. And then, because I was painting feverishly, I put on audiobook A River Enchanted, which I think you just talked about. No, I haven't. It's still on my to-be-read list. Okay, so maybe it was from one of the lists that we were reading. And I, because I am never good about this kind of thing, didn't realize that it's the first book of a duology, the second of which hasn't been written yet. So, what a cliffhanger. (laughs) Um, Now I have to read it so we can talk about the cliffhanger. Yes, please. So this was super delightful. I really loved the pace of it. I loved the characters. This is a kind of a, what do we consider this? Magical realism? It's You know, this is not quite my area of expertise, but it takes place on the magical Isle of Cadence Rebecca Ross is usually a YA writer, and this is her series for, this is a series for adults. It's adult fiction. And it's, I think you could still read it as a YA. It was pretty clean overall. So Jack and Adira grew up together in their clan on Cadence. She is the heir of the Lairdship. He grew up without a father with his mother on the edge of the forest, and he was sent away to the mainland to study music by her parents, because I guess they made decisions for people on the aisle. So he comes, it starts off that he comes back as an adult. He's been summoned. There are these missing girls on the aisle, and he thinks that because he is a bard, that his song and musicality will convince the spirits which appear in the winds. I can't believe I am stringing this all together. Can I get a gold star? So they are they are determined to figure out what's happening with the girls and the spirits aren't cooperating and Jack has to use old tribal songs and new compositions and 
The problem is chiefly that there are two warring factions between his tribe and the tribe on the other side. The bad guys will come and like raid their land and take their animals and that kind of thing. So there is not peace on Cadence. As the book culminates, we learn all kinds of important secrets. And it deposits you there at the cliff edge with a lot of knowledge and a lot of questions. And I was painting and I looked over and I thought to myself, six minutes, there's no way they're going to wrap this up in six minutes. And I was right. She doesn't. (laughs) She leaves you hanging. Are you sure the second one isn't out? No, I'm not sure. Okay, It might be out. (gasps) You might be okay. Okay, good. So I really enjoyed this. I'm excited for the second one, and I hope it's out. It was called A River Enchanted. That's it. That's all I have, those two books. Great. No, those were good ones, though. Very important. All right, on reflection, five years of podcasting. I can't believe it. Can you believe it? No, it, I think we have the, the benefit and the detriment of the COVID time warp where yeah. we podcasted remotely for a year. At least. Yeah. At least. We kept doing it yes. to our credit. But then when we got back together, it was so incredible that it sort of, in a way, restarted the clock for me. Mm. Like... I was so reinvigorated to come back together after COVID that I felt a real sense of that the podcast had a real sense of purpose. I mean, it surely helped us get through COVID, but it seemed even more important once we were able to record in person again. Yes, very true. So we decided to (laughs) pick five things, kind of five highlights from the past five years and Sort of independently, we we each picked something from one of the segments and then a general podcasting one because apparently we are we are one brain at this point. So for needles, I went back and looked because we've done some year in review things. And so I went back and looked at kind of my highlights from the past years, which was just delightful because all these projects that I had forgotten about, like my descent card again, which for steaking, like uh, would I have done that without... The opportunity to do it with Courtney, who was my sewing goddess, and to document it. I don't know. I don't know. So that was delightful. I think my transition from thinking of myself as a sock knitter to maybe a sweater knitter was kind of fun. Although then I came back to sock madness and got to share that with with you guys. And then my various knitting projects, one of them was the Alaska cowls when my family went to Alaska and I did cowls for my mom and my sister and I. Mm. In Alaska themed yarn. I think the the descent cardigan has a lasting impression on me forever because I almost cut it myself. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> because I was like, whatever, let's just cut into yeah. this. And Monica I've been doing was all like, the sewing and my God, wait a minute. But that was hilarious. I think as much as I love that cardigan and all that it symbolizes. I so enjoyed the process of helping you choose the colors for the dark academia sweater. Oh, yeah. That that has sort of edged it out Mm, for me. That's fair. The colors are magnificent and the design of it is, it's so extraordinary. I can't wait to see it on you. I know. Someday we'll get it to be cold enough. I know. That is, that is the one, I mean, I love that we are, we have summer in October is how our seasons work, but you do mentally want to be wearing sweaters and everyone else is talking about how chilly it is. It's snowing in Utah and, you know. Yeah. We're just still mild, here in our mild. 70 degrees. We had our heat wave and yeah. Usually in November is when it starts to cool off enough to wear sweaters so soon. Maybe if I had let you actually cut the descent cardigan, that would be still be your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so then easel, I got to say, I have loved the the calendars and chapbooks the the drama and the for amazing sure. products that always come out of that drama for thing. sure but then i did also enjoy the um the underwear saga <laughs> from back i think that was towards the beginning it was it was very early on i have made underwear since and i maybe haven't talked about it cuz it's not as exciting anymore no yeah the sewing 
I have more to say about the sewing, but I'm still in the throes of fighting with it right now. The big change for me outside of, you know, doing more show work and submissions has been changing up our podcast art to be these weird clusters of images. It is delightful for me to do that and to think about it's it's definitely not what Monica was maybe envisioning. I, I never can tell. You know, like we'll be talking about Clue and I will get super granular and paint a Mrs. Peacock playing card. That's how I get into the piece, you know, is to be super specific. And I don't even know that she was talking about green olives when we were talking about that recipe. But I like how those podcast images are coming together. When you said a dinosaur in a teacup, that was like an instant image in my brain, and I was so excited to go and paint it. The podcast images now feel to me less like a, oh, I need to paint a tin of sardines to represent this episode, to looking at the whole of our episodes mm-hmm. and finding these little gems. Like, we talked about butter three times today. <laughs> And I don't know how I'm going to make that work because I kind of had a plan for the fifth anniversary and now it needs to include butter, obviously. Of course. So thinking about those images differently has been really important for me because it's painting is what I love to do. Yeah, it is not at all how my brain works. So even (laughs) if you told me exactly what you were going to paint, which you, I mean, when you were doing the single episodes, you would, you could tell me you were doing a can of sardines and I would still have no idea how it would turn out. And it's every time you send me the artwork, it is always a delight. Every time. (laughs) Thank you. I have no idea what it's going to be. And it's just a little sparkle in my day. Like, what has she done now? This is amazing. Again. She forgot to paint the pimentos, but that's okay. (laughs) No, I would never think that. Food. This is hard because we don't really taste each other's. True. You know, we don't get to experience the food as much. However. But one of my highlights from the early years was the turkey chimichangas, which was a recipe from you. So there was that. Grace's chicken. I forget what exactly what the name is from... Simply Julia, which is a recipe that I make. I was making it every week for a while there, and that it's still was a, my go-to. A cook that was a cookbook review yes. that we did. That is one of my favorite things about the on the table section is the cookbook reviews. Yes, all of them, even the ones that don't totally fit for my household. I still love a cookbook challenge. It is fun, and it it does. I think especially with lockdown. Cooking has been less of a joy occasionally than it it has been in years past. But doing things like the cookbook challenge or honestly having to find something new to talk about because I know the podcast episode is happening has been really helpful and just to kind of help me find my joy in cooking. I mean, because that was why we started the podcast was to talk about things that we love to do every day. And so finding that that joy. Yeah, I have to say even now with this like leafy green personal challenge. Mm -hmm. At first I was like, oh, kale, kale chips and sauteed kale. What else am I going to do? And then I realized I have shelves of cookbooks and a podcast that I can share kale recipes with. And it was like instantly so much more exciting to know that, oh, I can do the kale chronicles and It's something, it's kind of like when you were embarking on beans and talking about beans all the time. It just gives it a little bit more external (laughs) momentum. Which I still am. (laughs) You still are. And that's great. Yeah. Uh, And I have a kale recipe for you. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, probably more than one, but. So what was your, what was your recipe? The Grace's chicken? Mm Mm-hmm. Turkey chimichangas. The seasonal palaus from East, Mm -hmm. which reminded me I need to pull that out because I haven't used it in a while and those were like the rice dishes one basic idea but then you change up the ingredients someone just recently thanked me for talking about that cookbook because they have used it and loved it good i hope i'm remembering that properly i think they thanked me they didn't curse me well there you go yeah i think and this is just this year my favorite was the angry grandma pizza Mm. from Smitten Kitchen. It makes me think of my grandma, who was not particularly angry. 
I love that recipe so much, and it has been a crowd pleaser every time. Yeah, that's like my, my Grace's chicken. Yeah. Books. I definitely have a vibe, except for my first book. I went back and looked, same thing, I went back and looked at what I had picked from my book of the year. The first year I picked The River by Peter Heller, which I remember thinking that was controversial at the time. And I think I had just read it fairly recently when I was choosing. And it was a super fun book, and I did enjoy it very much. I don't know if I would pick it again. But my other ones were Hamnet, The Mirror and the Light, and The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. Mm. I feel a vibe going on there of sort of historical fiction, intense deep dives into characters, a little bit of magic, varying levels of that. I mean, even The Mirror and the Light has that kind of, because it's internal, I think, has a little bit of a, there's not actual magic, but there is that kind of dreamy vibe. So Mm. those books I I feel really good about. Hamnet reminds me of The Marriage Portrait, which I totally loved and overlooked when I was thinking about like what has been an eternal favorite. I still, still feel the overstory in my core, mm. but it might have been edged out by Demon Copperhead oh. by Barbara Kingsolver. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'll report back in five more years. Yeah. And then general podcasting, <laughs> my note says plan, but be flexible. That's apropos. Because you really, you will not remember things if you do not write them down. But you do also need to be, I think, present and paying attention and willing to change. I think that applies to cooking and crafting. Yeah. And reading, which is um, how I end up with 12 books checked out right now and two weeks to read them all. Yeah. Mm, that's a we'll good, see, that's We'll see a how that's going to work out. That's a good problem. When I was thinking about five years of podcasting, we try to celebrate our listeners by doing bingo. You know, we celebrate bingo. It's all summer long. We try to, you know, anybody who joins us, we try to do a shout out to them. Monica's really good about that. And then I build prize boxes. We definitely wouldn't be here were it not for great listeners. And five, five years of this is also an opportunity for us to say, heck yeah, like we have shown up consistently for five years to do this thing that we totally adore and share, you know, it's it's on repeat. We are literally on <laughs> repeat. And I think that that consistency is is commendable and it's okay for us to take a second and say yes and to thank you guys for listening along and contributing and being a part of it. It definitely, it keeps me painting. It keeps me cooking different, interesting, weird things, and it keeps me reading. And that's the whole point for me. Yeah. Me, no, me too as well. Plus getting to see you every other week. Right. <laughs> a little special joy. So until next time, thank you for listening and make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf at C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.